Good morning. I'm really glad to be here with you this morning and to worship with you. Let's start by looking at a parable this morning together. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 42, is where our parable begins. Luke 12, verse 42, the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward, whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces, and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but a few. For everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. The last section of that teaching from Jesus is of particular importance to our time period. You see, in past generations, the plan of God, the will of God to save people, not just some, but all people through the death of Christ, was hidden from every being except Him. But today, we know the will of our Master, and we are to get ready and act in accord with that will. And that applies not just to Christians today, but to everyone who exists post-Christ. All of us have been given much. And much is required of us. Jesus asks the question, who then is the faithful and sensible steward? A steward is just someone who's been entrusted with something that belongs to someone else. And he's challenging every listener and every reader to be the faithful and sensible steward. And that's where our scripture reading from this morning comes in. I appreciate Brett for reading that for us. Let's look at it again now with this challenge in mind of who is the faithful and sensible steward. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Let a man regard us. And us is referring to especially he and Apollos in 1 Corinthians. But he says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Trustworthy is the same word as faithful that Jesus uses back in the book of Luke. They're to be faithful. And just so that we grasp the, the chain of events, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, 
Paul tells Timothy to entrust that word, that sound doctrine that he'd received, to entrust it to faithful men who would be able to teach others also. And so the the chain goes something like this. Jesus came to earth and He taught and he, He gave us good teachings and right teachings. He died to save our souls and forgive our sins. He resurrected and ascended to heaven. The apostles then carried on His work continuing to teach the things that He gave them through the Holy Spirit. And then they passed those on to the next generation of Christians who would maintain those things faithfully, entrusting those faithful sound words to them. And that generation did the same for the next, and the next, and the next, on down to us. And here we are, standing in the very same place that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2, that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Not mysteries today because they've been revealed, but in this case, in the case of being entrusted with God's plan and God's will, it is required that we be found trustworthy. And so, the question is, will you be the faithful and sensible steward? When the Master returns, will He find you, as Jesus says, handing out the rations at the proper time? Will you be teaching the lost? Will you be imitating the character of Jesus? Will you be showing the work of the Word in your life through your actions, through your speech, through your attitudes? Will you be the faithful steward? This morning we're going to talk about being the faithful steward and how our speech, our actions, and our attitudes determine whether we are faithful or unfaithful stewards of God's will. You understand God has done something that you or I probably wouldn't have chosen to do. He's given His will and taken it and laid it in our hands and said to us, take care of this for me. He's entrusted us with it. Paul talks about what God did with His will, trusting it to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, speaking of it as treasure in earthen vessels. Like a piece of pottery that contains great treasure. That's what we are. God has given us something that's worth more than than we are. And He's entrusted it to us so that we can give it to those in need to the world. And so when we talk to people, God's will should be present in our words. There should never be a time when speaking of God would raise the question, but you just said this, but you just said that. And that, that's not godly. Look at Luke 19 verse 47. Luke 19 verse 47 and 48, that's what we'll read. Luke 19:47 says that he Jesus was teaching daily in the temple 
But the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. And they could not find anything that they might do for all the people were hanging on to every word he said. They were hanging on to every word he said. What if people hung on to every word you said? What picture would it paint of the Christ that you serve? Would he maintain his purity or would his image be tainted by your conversation? You see, with our speech, we need to respect the message that God has entrusted to us even when we aren't speaking it literally, if you understand. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 reads this way. Paul says to them, Our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. And so we see there that the words that came out of Paul's mouth were going to be those which pleased God who examines the heart, not so much men. And Paul continues to describe the way that they spoke, the way that was pleasing to God, the way that makes them faithful stewards of the gospel. In verse 5, he says they didn't flatter. They weren't greedy. In verse 6, they didn't want to be held up and glorified by men. In verse 7, instead they were gentle. In verse 8, they gave them their life. Along with the words. And that leads into our next point. And that's not just that our words, you know, the words are one part of the message, but to share the entirety of the message, you have to share more than just words. You have to share your life. They had to give of themselves, they had to show how important God's message was to them. And that takes more than words. It takes more than words. It takes your life and it takes your actions. When God's will comes into our conversations, it shouldn't just be our words that display Him. Our actions speak where our words fall short. Does that make sense? Our actions speak where our words fall short. Your actions tell just how real God is to you. And they tell the story of Christ in you to other people. Look at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 and verse 12. Jesus enters a village in verse 12 and there's ten lepers. Uh, not, not animals with spotted skin that run fast, but guys with sores all over their body. Lepers. And they're meeting him at a distance because they don't want to get him sick. And they raise their voices in verse 13, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. That's an important statement because they couldn't show themselves to the priests if they weren't healed. And so the idea is, he doesn't say, you're healed and then their sores are removed, but rather, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, you notice, they were cleansed. That is, whenever their actions matched up with what Jesus told them, then they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he'd been healed, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered and said, Were were not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. You notice the question that he asks, Where are they? The nine who had been healed, they failed to tell the story of their thankfulness through their actions. You see, Jesus expected it and He was surprised when only one returned. All of them spoke the right words. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. But there was only one who fulfilled those words in His actions. And that was the expectation of Christ. Expectation that nine out of ten failed to meet. Sometimes our actions tell a different story than the words we say. And we need to be very aware of that and adjust our actions to match the story that comes out of our mouth, the one concerning Jesus Christ whom we serve. But sometimes the story of our words and our actions, both of those match up, but they're undermined by something else entirely. And that's a sad thing. Doing so much good, and yet you undermine all of that with a bad attitude, an unchristlike attitude. If my words sound right and my actions look right, but my heart isn't in either of them, that will become obvious in time. It will become very apparent. The look on my face will change, body language changes, tone of voice changes, and you start to see all the things that are hidden beneath the surface that you wished weren't there because they start to defeat the good that could have been done. Attitudes can be sneaky things. We only have so much time to do good things. Maybe we have more than we realize, but... Still a finite amount of time. And Paul Paul spent a lot of time teaching the Gentiles. And I want you to to walk sort of uh, around the bend and come back into this point we're making. Paul spent a lot of time teaching to the Gentiles. Teaching them the Gospel. even spoke of himself as the Apostle to the Gentiles in 1 Timothy 2 verse 7. But even though Paul spent most of his time teaching Gentiles, his attitude never hardened toward the Jews. You understand that he always wanted to help them as much as he wanted to help the Gentiles. In fact, he writes in Romans chapter 11, Romans 11 verse 13, he says, But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, 
I magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. You see what Paul's saying? He says, look, I'm an apostle to you, the Gentiles. I speak to you guys. I teach you guys. And I'm, I'm making my progress as big as it can be. And I'm, I'm proclaiming what I'm doing as loudly as I can. Because maybe by doing so much good with you, the Jews, my countrymen, will get jealous and want to do just as good as you're doing. His desire was still to save them, even though his circle of influence was not with them. And this is where I think we, we need to think. All of us live in, in different circles. I'm not the first guy or the last guy to term our lives in, in circles. We live in certain circles. We each have opportunities with different people, with different types of people. And as we communicate to those in our circles, it's important that we do not alienate those outside that circle. My likes, my dislikes, my sense of humor, where I grew up, being married, having a child on the way, all of these and more begin to form my circle. I'm effective with different people based on all of those characteristics. You know what's funny? After you get married, and most of you know this, but maybe have forgotten it, uh, been married so long. That's a good thing. But once you get married, all your single guy buddies that you used to hang out with and just, you know, hang out and do whatever you felt like doing all night long and all that, that just goes away. It's just gone for me now. It doesn't happen. And same with Catherine. All of her friends that she used to go and, and you know, crazy Catherine going out there and... and <laughs> But life changes and your circle changes, right? You start to associate with different people and, and different people are interested in associating themselves with you because of just the things in your life and who you are and what you like and what you don't. And we need to take advantage of that. We don't need to be afraid of being effective with the people who like us, right? Don't be afraid of that and don't feel bad about it. I understand that you have contact with people and, and people like you that maybe will just not like me at all. Because they think the things that I'm into are just a waste of time. Who knows? But you should still take advantage of that circle and I should still take advantage of mine. And we should both be seeking to bring those people to Christ in the way that we can In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, Paul gives Timothy a charge. He's given Timothy sound teaching about the church. He's talked about how to treat people, how to correct errant members, and, and many, many other teachings in 1 Timothy. 
But in verse 21 of 1 Timothy 5, he says, I solemnly charge you. And I, I did some looking on that phrase because it's very interesting. I solemnly charge you. That's generally used when something is of the utmost spiritual importance. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of His chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias. Do nothing in a spirit of partiality. And this is where those circles come in. You know, there's... there's People that I get along with easier than others. Even in the church. Right? And I think if we're honest, everybody sees that. That, that you get along with certain people and certain types of people. And I get along with certain types of people. And we're not all that type of person for each other. However, in the church, we're united by our common goals in Christ. And we're united because in the church, just because maybe you don't like the same things I like, doesn't mean I'm going to preach a lesson at you. Right? Nobody would attend here if I preached a lesson at you because I didn't really care for you. That'd be awful. No partiality, no bias. That's attitude, right? That's the inside. That's the thing that can undermine all the good you may do and all the good words you may have to say is that bias, the partiality. Well, I like you, so maybe it's okay if you go and do this wrong thing. Just come back after a while. Right? That's that partiality. Or maybe I'll treat this particular older gentleman with great respect, and this other one, well, I'll just kind of kick him in the shins. Because I don't really like it. It's the attitude. No partiality, no bias in our application of the scriptures, no bias in our correction, no bias in our rewarding. No bias, no partiality. When Jesus gave Himself on the cross, He did so without a single note of favoritism or partiality. He didn't give it for a certain ethnic group. He didn't give it for a certain country. He didn't give it for anything other than everything and everyone. And even though we move in different circles, we have fellowship we have brotherhood. We have family in Christ. And we need to care about every circle, not just our own. You notice I'm not telling you to get rid of the circle in which you move. I'm saying take advantage of that. Because you move in circles that I can't, and I move in circles that perhaps you can't. Use that to Christ's advantage and maintain your fellowship without favoritism with the church. 1 Corinthians 4 verses 1 and 2 says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Trustworthy. 
to be trustworthy, faithful stewards. God must be present in our words. The story of the gospel must be told by our actions and our attitude must display the universal nature of the gospel. There must never be a note of personal favoritism in our application of the truth and never should there be a single soul about whom we do not care. And so the question is, this morning, Jesus said, who is the faithful and sensible steward? The question is, is that you? Are you the faithful and sensible steward? Have you been the faithful and sensible steward? That He expects you to be. Think about your words. Think about your actions. Think about the attitudes that drive them. And if you're a Christian who needs to return to God in any of those three areas this morning, the invitation is your time to come back. It's your time to make things right with God. Start serving Him in all of the parts of your life again. Start being a faithful steward. Start being faithful and trustworthy with the will that He's given you. And if you're not a Christian, there's a particular point that needs to be impressed on you. And that is that we, all of us who, who would tell you, yes, I'm a Christian, I've been baptized into Christ, we are all still human. And we come up short of the goals we've discussed this morning. We fall short of them. But we keep pushing ourselves to be more and more like Christ. To succeed in greater ways with our attitude, our words, and our actions. So please be willing to forgive us as God is willing to forgive you. This morning, if, if you're not a Christian but you know the Gospel and you believe its message about Jesus and His sacrifice for the sins of all humanity, let that change you. Repent of your sins. Confess your belief in Jesus before us and be baptized in His name and His blood will wash your sins away. And you will be raised out of the water a new creation, a member of God's family. If anyone has a need this morning, the invitation is open for you. Please come as we stand and sing.